Police have identified more victims and plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Confirm earlier reports of cannibalism. The building was a scene of ghoulish slaughter. A large kettle on the stove which held boiled body parts. Identified four victims. Killed even more. Plan on more than just the four murder charges filed today. Had sex with some of his victims before he killed them. And that he was also a necrophiliac. You are now listening to Grinding True Crimes with your hosts, Maddie Mack, Todd Fox, and Gabby Gab. Hey, 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 welcome into another episode of Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host, Maddie Mack, along with our narrator for today, Todd Fox, and the other host of the show, Gabby. And we are back here live kicking in another episode for you guys. But before we do, I want to let you guys know where you can find us. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just type in the Grinding True Crime Podcast. There you can leave a message. You can comment on our on our stuff. We reply back. We appreciate the fan uh, communication. And we give out shout-outs as well. If you want to listen to us on your radio or your podcast screen, just type in Podbean, Spotify, Anchors, iTunes, and Pandora. Just type in Grinding True Crime, and you can listen to some of our previous recording as well. And for those who are listening outside of the country, we appreciate your support as well. You can find us on Podchaser, Podchaser, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cats. As always, listener discretion is advised because we do give detailed description of some of the crimes that we talk about in possible recordings. So listener's discretion is always advised. With all that being said, Todd Fox got us a story, and it's a good one. So Todd... You have the floor. What's happening? Thank you, sir. Oh, real quick. Uh, one thing about the business real quick. We finally have merchandise. So That's right. Sorry yeah. about that. Yeah. <laughs> one more thing. Redbubble.com. If you guys want to purchase some of our merchandises, just go to Redbubble.com and type in Oddfox80. That name will be changing. That's the name for right now, but it will be changed in the future. But for right now, type in Oddfox80 at Redbubble.com and you can finally buy some merchandise courtesy of the grinding to crop yes all right yes sir and you get discounts the more you buy and it's at good prices by the way so shameless Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> now with all that being said hot box you have the floor tell us about your crime for today okay well our uh the case today will be of the uh <clears throat> it'll be it'll be the name and the perpetrator called andrew kehoe Kehoe? Kehoe, yeah. K-E-H-O-E. This is interesting. Yeah, and Mr. Andrew Kehoe, um, when we think <laughs> of school shootings or disasters at schools or any place, we automatically think of Col- Columbine High School for those of you that live in the United States. Um, that's like the biggest school shooting that happened in the mid-90s that kind of kicked off the pandemic of, sh- of shootings, basically. Yeah. And it was a famous school tragedy that was caught on camera um, and uh, and played out on the news here um, in Colorado or in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And um, it's usually it's usually the mindset of a child or a kid that feels abused or mentally picked on and takes out his or her aggression on his fellow students who just happen to be at school or people that picked on him and or her and they just they that's how they get their revenge. So. Since 2009, there have been 292 school shootings around the world, 
Can you guys give me an estimated estimated number out of those 292 that have come from the United States? Uh, out of the United States, I'm going to say a good, I'm going to say 150. Okay. Gabby? I'm going to say the 200. Gabby's closer. It's actually out of the 292, 288 of them. Get out. Yeah. Only four. Have happened out of the United States, two in Canada and two in the United Kingdom. Well, it seems like uh, us U.S. people just like to shoot at schools, huh? Yes, we have a problem with that. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's pretty sad. Um, so it's an epidemic that unfortunately happens here far too often. And uh, into most of our, our audience that is, isn't in America, it's something that you usually don't hear unless it comes from America or if it's broadcasted on your world news. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, um, let's see. So, um, let's see. That's, uh, that's what they're known for, uh, as far as the, the kids be having these suicidal tendencies or the aggression. Like I said before, they, they try to go out there and put their 15 minutes of fame in there, do as much as destruction as possible before, uh, you know, before it's all said and done. And either they kill themselves or they go to jail but they don't realize they rot in there for the rest of their life. And there's really no one that talks about them besides podcasts like this one or uh, other things <laughs> like that in that nature. Um, but this one, this one is not a school shooting. I just brought that up because that Man, you went our appetites and it ain't even the school. <laughs> yeah. Because it's, it's not a school shooting per se, but it involves school and innocent kids dying. But what Ooh. it, what it, but what it does is it gives you an idea of, the worst school shootings like Sandy Hook don't compare to this one. This one is actually the worst um, mass killing of innocent young students in uh, in the United States history. It's just not oh, it's not talked about because it doesn't involve a gun. That's what that's the that's the the twist. Oh, oh, dang! Yes, yes. So, um, wow. Yeah. So that's, okay. that's that's a different twist about this one. So I just brought up those. To give you an idea, you know, about, you know, because we all know, at least here in America, how how uh, brutal Sandy Hook was. Mm-hmm. So, and if you don't, uh, I'm not going to get into it. So, if you want to research Sandy Hook, just Google it and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. I think you did an episode about that one, right, Tom? No, I haven't done that one yet. I, oh, okay. I, I kind of don't want to do that one. That one's, that one gets me. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so, let's find out about Andrew Kehoe, who is our study for today. Um, he was born in... It's hard to say Tecumseh, Michigan. It's a real small town. Um, and, uh, yeah, I know I'm going to pronounce that wrong, but uh, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Good enough. Yeah, I'm trying I'm try not to say it too much. Uh, he was not the youngest um, of the of his siblings, but uh, he was one of, one of the youngest of 13 children. That's a lot. Yes. And we already know, Gabby, what happens with uh, kids that are born – to parents that get up in age, have a ton of kids, and you're towards the uh, end of the pack. Yep. They, they don't always turn out right, and they don't get the best supervision, right? That's right. Yeah, so he was, I think, number 11 out of 13. Dang. So um, his parents were Philip Kehoe uh, from 1833 to 1915. So this will give you a, 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 about an estimated time period of where this one's at. Um, his mother was uh, Mary McGovern, who never took Kehoe's uh, last name, and um, she was married to him from 1835 to 1890. Um, 
Keo attended that Tecumseh High School in Michigan, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, he went on to go to Michigan State College, which which became Michigan State University. Um, he was fascinated by electricity, so he studied to be an electric engineer. Where he met his future wife Ellen Nailey Price, the daughter of the wealthy Lansing family, better known from the city in Michigan uh, that is uh, named after them, Lansing, Michigan. Mm. Uh, so they had a ton of money. So, okay. So already Kehoe is like uh, he's you know being an electrician. He's married you know or he's he's dating a, a wealthy heiress. So he's got some money. Um, let's see where I leave. Uh, so so Kehoe, um, you know after after college he went southwest apparently for several years as an electrician uh, working in St. Louis um, during this time period though. And here's, you know, the red flag number one was, um, you know, being born into a big family, not really getting the love or the attention or the discipline. Let's see. Can you guys guess what is, um, can you guess the second red flag of a mass murder? I know first one is they start killing animals. Okay. Second is mm, red flag, red flag. Abuse, domestic abuse. Mm, okay, those are those are two, but that's not the that's not one of them this time. What what do you got, Gabby? Uh, kind of detached from society, a loner. Yeah, that will that will show up later. So you kind of got that one. That's half right. But what do you think? What do you think he suffered here? Which usually a lot of them suffer, which me- messes up their mental state. Bipolar. No. Um, bullying bullying no but i'll just i'll just give it to this one you guys are kind of close but um you remember any kind of head injury suffering head injury oh all right yeah this dude was kehoe up until this point was pretty normal a normal guy smart guy but he was working um a construction site doing some electrical work on a on a uh, ceiling and he fell off the scaffolding and landed directly on his head Yeah. I'm shocked that didn't kill him. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he didn't fall too far. I think he was just like on a second story scaffolding. But still, you're falling a, a story down. You should. Yeah, there's a good chance you break your neck or die. So, yeah, you're yeah. right. You're right. Um, but this resulted for uh, in him being in a coma for two weeks. Dang. Uh, yeah. And uh, when he was released, he went home. His father helped take him uh, in and, and help him recover because – he needed about two months of recovery after that, too. I um, bet. <laughs> yeah. Good so, thing he had his helmet on. <laughs> he didn't. He so, didn't? He didn't have his helmet on. That's, oh, what, well. that's where the head injury came in. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, um, however, during Kehoe's time away from his mother, um, his mom had died. And his father wow. had gotten remarried to a woman, uh, Francis Wilder, uh, Junquilo and um, it's it's uh, or no not Junquilo uh, Francis Wilder I can't pronounce the last name anyway um, <laughs> Kehoe um, didn't have any interest in her at all when he came home uh, most of the kids were out of the house by now his dad was in his late 60s early 70s and his his new mother-in-law was barely 35 years old what yeah she was only three years older than Kehoe at this point well, that'll do it. Yeah, so he was he was kind of pissed off. 
<laughs> That'll do it. Yeah. So and He's then the, like, Dad, that could be my wife. What you doing? <laughs> yeah, and then here's the thing too. Um, she gave birth to his uh, father's child right away, and uh, right away uh, they changed the will to where that kid was getting the bulk share of the inheritance. Get out. Yep. Yep. So mm. that made him hate her even more. Um, of so, course, he had a young wife. He was going to do whatever she wanted. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, where where is like a seventy year old going to get a thirty five year old either way? And you, you're going to be like, oh, you know, your kids are all mostly grown by now. You're not going to give in to their demands. You're going to be like, oh, that's my new wife. Heck yeah, you know. <laughs> Oof. Oof. Yeah. Well, first of all, what? A seventy-year-old man having a child, like he uh, all wrinkly and stuff. Get out of here! <laughs> <laughs> I know the baby's like grandpa, and he's like, "No, this is Not your father." Your yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, I gotta do the old voice. Yes, we can. I'm your father, <laughs> grandpa, father. They just start yelling at each other. He's like, "Correction, I am your father." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Man, that's disturbing. But okay, it happens. Yeah. So uh, the next thing we move on to is September seventeenth, nineteen eleven. So all right. we, we all know when a day is uh, involved, there's something that goes on. Someone dies, right? Mm-hmm. So on this day, Francis goes to light a stove, which is the stove at this time is oil based, and uh, it's it's a high end high end. Uh, uh, stove it for the time, but you have to put oil in it until to, to get it to light, and it lights up pretty hot and everything else like that. She's going about her business, and then uh, as she goes to uh, light the stove, it explodes, and Ooh. the oil there's too much oil in the stove, and it goes all over her. Ooh. Oh no! Yeah, so she catches on fire, and and uh, she's in there screaming right, and at this time. Elderly Kehoe is getting up from his easy chair in the front room, uh, or Kehoe's father, and he at this time he has a hard time walking, so he has two canes, so he's trying to rush in there. Andrew comes in right away, and uh, what do you want to do with a oil kitchen fire? Like, how do you put it out? If you don't have a fire extinguisher, don't you put like like not? I know it's not water, but don't you put like like powder or something? Gabby. I have no idea. I I could picture flour. There you go. You guys are yeah, both like, right. You guys yeah, are like both right. Powder. Yeah, usually you go with like a flour or um a starch or something something like powder base like you said. Um Andrew runs in with a bucket of water. Well, that'll do it. <laughs> and it uh it spreads the uh the flames all, more over her body and it enrages the intensity of the flames. So she's cooking Ooh. in the kitchen, and not the wrong, not the right way she wants to. She's cooking. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's actually baking powder or flour um, that that would have got it. Um, but yeah, she she goes on the ground. The elderly father comes in there. A couple of the his his siblings and workers from the farm come over there and uh, put the fire out. You know, with blankets and stuff. Uh, her skin is burnt. The smell is in, is terrible in the house. Uh, oh. They um, carry her to the uh, bedroom, and Kehoe says, Andrew says, I'm going to go to the neighbors since we don't have a phone, make a phone call, and call for help. 
he um, proceeds to uh, hurry up as in walk to the next door neighbor's house, which is about down the street. So it's not like it's like right next door because these are farms. Mm. And he walks to the neighbor's house, calmly knocks on the door and says, may I use your telephone? And then uh, he said, uh, uh, the neighbor's like, uh, yeah, what's going on? Oh, oh, we just had an accident. You know, uh, mom hurt herself. So we're just going to call for some assistance. And then he gets on the phone with the operator, calls the sheriff, and asks for medical assistance and an undertaker. So that's just a little suspicious, right? Yeah, it is. How do you know she's dead already? Yeah, basically. Um, So he's already assuming that she's going to pass. And um, so after this, um, you know, the the, uh, medical assistance came and everything else like that. And they, they were trying to... Uh, you know, at this point, she passed out. They were trying to revive her. Uh, she didn't make it to the hospital. She died. Um, you know, obviously, the father was bent about it. Uh, the police had their suspicions about him because of the way he was ask, a- acting. But uh, no charges were ever filed against him whatsoever. And there was no evidence to say that it was him in any way. But for years after, and especially what happened later, people think that he killed his stepmom. Like he rigged it. Mm. So, that... I wouldn't be shocked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... I wouldn't be shocked either, man. Because, because first of all, you walk into the neighbor's house, you call nine one one, and you call the undertaker. Like, how did you know she was dead? It wasn't confirmed yet, so I think he got his hand somewhere in that cookie jar. I think so too. And what changed after this is because of her death, the money wasn't going to be going to her. Or the son, or that they had, and the son would just fall back in line with the rest of the siblings. Mm-hmm. So, with some of the money that he got from that, um, you know, there was a little bit of a payout later on. He was able to uh, purchase uh, and marry the woman that he met, uh, Nellie, in at Michigan State in 1912. They bought their own farm in Bath, Michigan. So, Bath, Michigan is the place where this is going to take place. Um, they bought a 185-acre piece of land outside uh, of Bath for $12,000, the equivalent of $322,000 today. And he paid $6,000 at the time for cash and took out a $6,000 mortgage. So oh. Kehoe was regarded as a very intelligent man in the neighborhood and often helped others out with machinery and would break down that would break down because he seemed to have a knack for fixing things. Um, mm-hmm. He wasn't much of a farmer. A lot of the farmers in the community saw that how he kind of neglected his crops at times, his cattle. Um, you know, he he would he wouldn't he would hire like a skeleton crew of of laborers. He wouldn't hire the, as many as the other people would. And whenever people told him how to do things or what he wasn't doing right, he lashed out. And uh, oh, go ahead. Mm. No, 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 it's interesting. He got anger issues. Yeah. Yeah, he does at this point. And um, he was also known for, and he brought that up, he was also known for holding grudges. So if you wronged him in any way in a minor dispute, there was a reason for him uh, in his mind to try to fix things. He would often stare at people as they walked by that he had grudges with, uh, say profane things to them. And um, he would also uh, do some either damaging things to their property, like cut fences so that cattle can go through. Uh, break mailboxes, just routine little damage. But he was never, he was always su- suspected, but it was never, you know, pr- 
proven that it was him, but no one else had the motive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, another thing that he was known for in the, in the town was making homemade dynamite, which was used to blow up tree stumps because if you were to take a, there was no tractors at this time in that area. And if you were to use your car, you'd ruin it. If you tried to pull a stump out, a big tree stump with a horse, you'd kill your horses. It's too much to pull. So the easy way to do it, he came up with an idea of just, you know, drilling a hole into the uh, the stump, p- putting some dynamite, blowing it up. So he'd make money on the side with that. Wow. Yeah. Homemade dynamite, huh? Yeah. Home- that takes you back to the stepmother dying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um so uh, this would, uh, and then he also, because, you know, obviously he had that, that head head issue, he would obsess over things, too. He would obsess over things that would piss him off, and like I said, he would hold grudges. And, uh, you know, this would carry on into his, his um, career, which started to look pretty good in 1924. So this is years later. Um, he's working in the Bath School District as far as a treasurer, uh, taking care of the finances and on the school board, looking mm-hmm. out what's what's uh, right for the uh, kids in the in the school district. Okay. And um, Keel was elected town treasurer at the time as well, so he was on the school board. He was town treasurer. Um, he was doing pretty good for himself. Yeah. And um, so <clears throat> one day um, he uh, the voting was you know it came up again in 1925. Keel was going up against uh, Emery Huck. And Emery Huck was using the idea in his campaign that Kehoe was basically out for the um, only the finances. He wasn't looking out for the children's sake. So new school books, new tables, things of that nature, paying for things that would help enhance the kids' learning. Um, Kehoe wasn't going for that, and it was proven. He was more looking cost-cutting. He was looking to maybe fix parts of the facility but he wasn't looking to improve the kids learning ability so because of that uh the the people in in bath county basically came up uh uh you know during the 1925 1926 election they gave it to um his rival emory huck emory huck defeated um kehoe in in the running for the school board now he was still part of the school as far as working on the board uh, in different ways, he also helped out, um, you know, Kehoe kept his job with maintenance, you know, because he was good at fixing things like the uh, furnaces and the their, uh, the electrical stuff in the school and the, mm-hmm. also as an advisor. So he, he stayed on that way. Um, he was probably mad still, though. Oh, yeah. I, I'm quite sure he wasn't so happy about that. He couldn't pocket the money. Yeah, exactly. And and he here's the thing, too, guys. He, he had a real big ego. So losing a very public election i mean it just threw him into a, a spiral at this point mm. so um neighbors began to see kehoe uh, angry around town more often just not talkative not being you know even though again he's still a part of the board he still had his job so not like he was fired he just got demoted you know yeah and um <clears throat> you know he started to neglect his property even more and uh, his finances continued to plummet um, he wasn't making as much money as he was before. Uh, he stopped doing his side hustles and, uh, his wife also took up a bulk of the money because at this time she got tuberculosis. So she was chronically, oh, man. yeah, she was chronically ill at this time. So he had to have people watch her. Um, he had to pay for expensive medicine at the time. 
um, get her a, a bed and all this other stuff. So his money, his monies weren't, uh, you know, he was blowing through his savings at this time. Dang. Yeah. Um, and then, so it got to a point where Kehoe, again, still working, but not able to afford his insurance on the property and the mortgage payments weren't being paid to the bank. So in the, in late that year, the bank began to foreclose against his property. So he had a, a time click, uh, a time ticking on his, uh, property and, and where he was going to be, you know, um, so he never he never forgot about losing the election, and this was. Yeah, he's still thinking about that. He's, yeah, he's he still holds on to things. Remember? Yeah, but let go. <laughs> yeah. he can't. He did. He just can't at this point. Um, right. So Kehoe's behavior um, uh, just is getting more and more, you know, bad, and just he's just not in the, his right frame of mind at this point. And he's still, like I said, on the maintenance department and everything else like that. They call him in for certain things. So Keo's behavior with a, um, a foreclosure on the house and the election, everything was just, you know, going to hell for him. So in 1927, May of 1927, Keo began to give some of his machinery from the farm and his livestock to neighbors. Some of the neighbors were like, no, we don't want this. We'll give you money for it. And he kept turning them down. And they're all like, hey, you need the money. Take it. And so one neighbor even said, look, I'm giving it back to you. I can't take this for free because you're not taking my money, you know, and they wanted to help him, but he just did not want to do it. Not want to. Why was he trying to give stuff away? Oh, you'll see. You'll see. We're getting close here. (laughs) Is it a twist, Todd? It's a bit of a twist. Yes, it is. Uh Uh-oh. So um, it's not the way you would think it would go, but this is definitely a red flag, right, guys? Yeah, it is. I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, it can be in part, but it's kind of like he's fed up and he can't keep up with stuff. So he's just trying to get rid of it. But it is weird that being a person who needs money, you're just giving it away. There's mm-hmm. probably a reason to it, though. Yep. And see, so what happens again, we have another date here, but it's uh, the day before this date is May 17th, 1927. He gets a... Um, uh, one of the guys t- drop by, I think it's one of the custodians to his farm, and says, hey, uh, Andrew, can you come down and take a look at the furnace tomorrow? Uh, we're having problems with it uh, and the generator. Can you come down and take a look at those two? And uh, he said, yeah, I'll be there in the morning. And he said, okay, I'll see you then. And then uh, so it's the next morning. It's May 18th, 1927. And um, because they're having an electrical problem with one of the generators, uh, underneath the school because that's it's like a it's like a two-story school so it's a, in an older mm-hmm. older type school mm-hmm. and um, he comes in around six forty-five in the morning begins to work on the generator and uh, everything else like that and it's getting close to uh, school time around eight eight in the morning the kids are going to be there around like eight fifteen or whatever um, the principal and the janitor come down to check on the progress to make sure that everything's working so they have electricity and that the furnace is going and all this other stuff. And when they go down there, he seems very agitated. He's not working on anything. Everything looks to be closed up, fixed up. His tools are in the box. He's just standing there. And the principal says, uh, can you test things out for us, you know, uh, uh, to make sure everything's working? He said, I, I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. And, and he, he looks like he's sweating. And the custodian's like, yeah, but Andrew, you know, like, um, how do we know everything's working? He's like, I already tested it. I got to go. And he just runs up the stairs and takes off. Oh, dang. Yeah. 
So he leaves his stuff. No, he he takes he takes his toolbox, but I mean he just like he leaves the the machinery. He doesn't want to test it. He do, he just takes off. Oh, I think I, okay. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> so now again, uh, the school. Remember, this is in the basement of the school, mm-hmm. and um, it the basement pretty much stretches from one side of the building to the other. It's a huge building too. It's not a small building because the it's a basically an elementary school that goes up to um, I think sixth grade. So. Anywhere you have kids there from five to twelve years old, and normally there's about four hundred to five hundred kids there. Um, but mm. this this day there's three hundred because there was a uh, there was a lot of uh, what are those called um, field trips, and there was a lot of other things that uh, I guess kids were out of school for whatever reason. But there was school only, activities. Yeah, yeah, school activities or whatever. So there was only three hundred inside the building at the time. And that's not counting the teachers and whatnot. Um, oh, man. I think I have an idea. So what do you guys think happened? Well, knowing him, he's an expert at dynamite. He may have planted something or, or hot-wired the furnace to where it blows up as well. And that everyone in that building is going toast. What do you think, Gabby? I agree. I think he did something stupid with it so that they could have like a short or something and it could blow up. You guys are both right on the uh, dynamite thing, but let me get into the details of what happened as we Dang. wind down the story. Okay, so here's what happened. All of a sudden at 8.45 exactly a.m. in the morning, this is about 30 minutes into the school class, an enormous ex- series of explosion takes off and it rocks the north end of the school, which makes the school collapse upon itself. Uh, the south end stayed intact, but it moved six feet off its foundation. Dang. Yeah. Um, now the explosion was heard so f- uh, uh, was heard as far away as 25 miles in Lansing, Michigan, and it was like a small earthquake to the town of Bath. Uh, there was windows shattered. Uh, you know, all kinds of things, right? People heard the explosion and immediately began racing to the scene to figure out what happened because the fate of their children and most of the residents had at least one or multiple children attending the school at the time. Mm -hmm. That's scary. That is. That's for real. Yep. Um, So at this time, as people are making their way to the school, on the other end of Bath, uh, the town of Bath, there is an enormous fire that has erupted on Andrew Kehoe's farm. So his farm is basically with its crops, the entire thing is just on fire right now at the same time. So people are looking in the distance, seeing a huge fire there, and then they're seeing what's happening in the school. They're like, are we getting attacked? Is this a part of the war? You know, what's going on? You know, because yeah, yeah. it's after World War One, but you never know at this point, right? Yeah. Um, at this time, Kehoe's farm, the, the crops, the chicken coops, the barn, and the machine shop are all on fire except his house. Um, now, back at the north end of the collapsed school, which it fell upon itself, it starts to catch on fire. Oh, dang. Yeah, the windows, doors, and crevices, whatever they can uh, do to get inside of the, um, the, the building, what's left of it, people are digging their way through. There's no tractors. There's no time for equipment. They have to just use their hands. And they're trying yeah. to they're trying to save as many kids as they possibly can. They're um you're you know there's kids screaming. There's missing limbs. There's um you know 
Yeah, there's. It's just. It's hor. It's horrifying at this point. At this time, it's like. It's like war. There was a, a veteran that came back from World War One. He said it was worse than what he saw overseas. Oh wow. Yeah, he said that you could still hear moans and screaming of kids inside that would fade away, knowing that either they were engulfed by flames, or that they could not breathe anymore. Um. So this this kind of yeah. reminds. This kind of reminds me of the Oklahoma City bombing or the, you know, that Miami, mm-hmm. the Miami one that just took place um, in, in, you know, not on the level of 9-11, but pe- people were passing away that fast. You know what I mean? Like, it just was terrible. Um, so as rescuers are coming, they're forming, ban- uh, you know, uh, triages and they're pulling the dead out. They're trying to save those that are still alive. They're, they're making bandages out of bed sheets. People are bringing sheets from their house. They're cutting them up, trying to, like, make tourniquets, whatever they can, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, bodies of small children lying on the field. So it's a, it's a horrific scene at this point. Um, there was a couple stories right here the, um, of a teacher they found as they were digging in, in the uh, north end of the building. She was under a bunch of rubble, but there was, like, wood that was she was kind of shielding two children with her back. And she had a head wound, and they were saying, hold on, we're going to get you. And she's like, no, no, take these kids, take these kids. I'm trying to save these kids as she's bleeding out. And as they take the children, they realize that the two second-grade children are already dead that she had in her arms. She didn't even know. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then when they pulled her out, they were finally able to get her out. She passed away on the gurney. So she didn't even make it to the ambulance. Yeah. Um. There was a gentleman that found his child in the rubble, but uh, he was no longer alive. He began to openly weep and uh, rip his shirt, uh, praying to God for help and pounding the ground. They said it was a moving, moving scene at that time. So you had just chaos on chaos. Yeah. Um, I, I can't imagine. Man. Yeah, this was this was terrible. So with all this going on, there was actually a few rescuers that felt the need to go to Kehoe's house. Like what's going on over there? So they made their way over there, and as they got to the house, they knocked. No one answered. Uh, they got close to the uh, to the bedroom where Kehoe's wife was, and there was a gunshot wound to her head. And wow. as one of the rescuers tried to get closer, he tripped on a wire. And oh, no. He immediately said, oh, God. And they all ran out of the house, and they barely made it out because then the house exploded. Dang, man. Yeah, he tripped He tri- uh, tripped his his house. With Dang. Dying. Yeah. He's just... <sighs> this guy's psychotic. Oh, yeah. That's not the end of it, either. What? There's another twist. So... Luckily, though, for those rescuers, they made it out of the time, you know, with only like maybe shrapnel from the wood of the house, cut them up a little bit, but they made it Mm -hmm. out. So they didn't die. Um, Now, just 10 minutes prior to the rescue efforts of those those men that came over to Kehoe's house, um, Kehoe was seen by some kids that were leaving the school that made it out alive, that were running to their their homes. Um, Kehoe was seen waving at them, driving by in a pickup truck. Uh, on his way to the school. Um, what? Yeah. And um, he pulls up. And you remember Hike, the guy who beat him for the election? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Hike is actually one of the heroes of this story at the time. Because at the time, he had been pulling out teachers. He'd been pulling out kids. He was 
basically taking charge of the rescue efforts, bringing in cars to try to haul people away, organizing everything. Like he was right in the middle of everything. He was trying to yeah. help out wherever he could. <clears throat> um, so all of a sudden, um, Kehoe pulls up to the front of the school, like on the front of the, the uh, where where all the rescuers have showed up and everything else like this, and and right away Hike says, "Hey, uh, let's empty out your truck. We could put some bodies in the back of your truck and take them to the hospital. Like we got to get these people out of here, and uh, and uh, you know we got to do this, we got to do that." And he's like shouting at him, and Kehoe's not responding. And then Kehoe looks over at him with a grin, and then all of a sudden Hike looks at him and says. You're behind this, aren't you? And then he runs over to the passenger or to the uh, front side of the truck and starts to punch him and try to to, to pull him out of the truck because he he's, he's realizing with that grin, Kehoe had something to do with this. Yeah. And as uh, as they are fighting, there's conflicting reports because of what happened next. But there was about 15 people within 10 feet of that truck. And what happened next is this: some people say they heard him say this. But others say they can't confirm it. But he says, I'm going to take you with me. And then at that same time, Kehoe takes a gun and fires into a box, which is on the passenger side of the truck. And the, truck, the truck explodes. Oh, dear. Yeah, there was, unfortunately, there was 50 pounds of dynamite in the front cab of the truck. And, um, that's not the worst part. The worst part is in the back of his seats and around the cab area in the front of the truck bed. There was nothing but uh, nails, shrapnel, oh, and shrapnel. Yep. Um, two workers that had, when they were arguing, had went to the back of the truck to try to clear some of the stuff out. When the truck exploded, they were incinerated at the same time. And the worst thing about it, though, there was a 12-year-old boy who had made it out of the wreckage and was sitting on, you know, sitting upright on the side of the curb, and he was killed. Dang, man. Oh, my God. He made it out of that mess, and then he dies because of this. Yep. Yep. And, Dang, man. And then there was a woman that was across the street which she had an infant child and she happened to be praying for the kids that were inside the um, the school at the time and when the car exploded a, a nail shot right into her eye oh she and she didn't to her credit she didn't drop the child the child um, you know was unharmed and she just she lost an eye out of it but uh, I just thought that was kind of interesting how she just took one right to the eye didn't even drop the child and was not concerned for herself uh, she actually had to be talked into getting medical attention because she was still worried about the kids that were in the school. Dang. Um, Strong woman there. Absolutely. So basically the police after this, you know, well, they were they fought into the night to control the fire and also save more children and teachers. Um, but they had to go about it very cautiously because there happened to be still 500 pounds of explosives that did not go off in the school. What? There was 600 pounds of explosives that were tied up underneath the school, but only 100 of them went off. Wow. So because of this, they were figuring if the 600 pounds had gone off, 
it would have it would have left a crater killed everybody there and you would have had people dead throughout the town because of the just enormity of that kind of amount yeah i mean you it saw pieces of people all over the place yeah because you saw what happened in that one country or um was it earlier last year where that um where that freighter exploded the fertilizer and just destroyed everything yeah yeah it would have been something like that back then you know just just crazy so as we wind down the story the aftermath of this was that 41 children and teachers would lose their lives in the initial explosion out of 300 children so 41 that's super high so that's why i was talking about sandy hook and all those other uh, mass murders at the schools uh-huh. this one for some reason doesn't get in those categories of those but it still is a a school type killing but since it didn't involve a gun per se um it's not ranked up there as one of the worst ones but if you think about the loss it's of still life, a mass murder that makes no sense yeah this this one's definitely yeah I, i'm right there with you gabby this one is definitely not talked about definitely not talked i've about. never heard of it. me neither yeah. yeah this one is for uh so again 41 out of 300 children uh perished there were 58 other children severely hurt 30 others uh were okay but but uh, you know, s- still cut up or traumatized, uh, needed some sort of hospitalization. So if you add that up, that's uh, a- about 120 out of 300 kids were injured in some sort of way or mur- or killed. Um, wow! And most of the kids, uh, you know, it's just a miracle that half the kids made it out of there un- unscathed, um, just yeah. traumatized. Uh, but um, yeah, there. So 41, 41 people, and then it's 45 total. If you count the uh, child that made it out was killed after the two innocent uh, workers and then uh, hike and then uh, so that's 45 and, and then his wife yeah Kehoe and his wife make 47 so it's 47 total that died wow yeah um, so when police went back to his farm to check evidence all they could find because everything either was exploded or on fire was a wooden post that said uh, it was six foot wide, four feet tall, and said, uh, and it was painted. And the only things it said was, uh, "Criminals are made, not born." So it was like an eerie left message. Mm. So that that was it, and um, it was all over that the feud that he had with uh, with Hike. He took it out on everyone else, and um, that school was r- later rebuilt. But then in the 70s, it was torn down, and uh, now it's a park with a huge monument to the children that lost their lives with nice little trees and a memorial to the parents and just Mm. everyone in the the, uh, town of Bath. But uh, that's the story of uh, Bath, Michigan school bombing of 1927. Dang, man. That's a tragic, man. I I work at a school, and, and I can just imagine the panic going through everyone's you know everyone's faces including staff parents children as well i i I can just imagine so that's a sad tragedy for that one man yeah what what do you think i knew he was gonna take himself out though like i I just saw it i saw it i was like when you agreed because he wasn't hiding at all that it was him yeah i just knew it yeah, it was just crazy because he was trying to cause the the most 
uh, mass casualties as he possibly could. And uh, they were saying that uh, because of where Hike had ha- had everybody lined up, they would have been on the outside street where Kehoe pulled up. But even though there was 15 people around the truck and somehow they didn't die, they were still hurt from the second blast. But there could have been a lot more people crowded around, and he could have took them out too. So yeah. um, just this guy was a, a evil, evil man. Um, whether you want to blame it on the head injury or just him being evil in, in general, but he was willing to take out an entire school because if those bombs had gone off, I oh mean, yeah, easily, man, there would have like been. Like no- if you're still functioning, though, even if you had a head injury, if you're still functioning and you're still like he had a good job and all of that stuff, like it, it don't make sense to me how people who get head injuries turn into evil people like what in your head makes you evil yeah yeah i think he was just bitter and depressed for how things had turned out and his rage he let it get the best of him i think you could be right because maybe maybe what it is gabby is you hit the nail on the head where he is like that and just just in general but maybe the the head injury just magnifies it. It pushes him mm-hmm. to go further. Like maybe he would have did some sort of revenge, just maybe not on that grand scale. But geez, man. I mean, uh, when I was doing research for the show, I, I I didn't realize the magnif magnification of of how bad it was. Like, you know, yeah, not pretty bad. Yeah, and this is for 1927, and uh, you know, it just reminded me a lot of the Oklahoma City bombing, um, and then just the fact that. They refuse to put it with the other school shootings or massacres. It's like, if you don't have a gun, it doesn't rank. It's like, okay. Yeah. But it's still, you know, a terrorist-like uh, attack. Oh, yeah, that's a terrorist attack. So I mean, even though, you know, within a, a U.S. state, whatever, you know, he was a U.S. citizen, I still consider that's a terrorist attack. Yeah. Doesn't matter. But, um, yeah, that's the story. If you guys got any more final thoughts on it. I mean, you know, it, it it sucks he had to take out so many people just to kill himself. Because yeah. at the end of the day, you knew he was going to kill himself. You know, his wife. And he, he would have taken out those rescuers who went to his house because he knew somebody was going to go there. Yep. So, so, so this guy planned to kill everyone. Yep. Yeah, his anger was toward everybody completely. Man. So. And the animals too that was on his farm. Yeah, every, you know? basically everything got it. Everything got it. So this was this was definitely an evil person. Just fortunate he didn't have children because they would have went too. Yep. So. So why again he was giving away his cattle and stuff because of that? Because he was going to blow up his whole property. Yeah, he figured he didn't need any of the important stuff he had. He was. Yeah, he already planned it. Yeah, he already had made up his mind he was going to do it. So, like, a couple weeks earlier, he was just petitioning people to take whatever they want, or he was giving it to them, and that was it. Yeah, he planned his own death. But, like, it's so stupid. You're giving people things that are, like, worth a lot, just so you're about to mess up their lives. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, there 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 was one family that they had four children, they lost three of them. Yeah, see, that, that sucks, man. That sucks. Yep. So. That is so sad. Freaking keyhole, man. Yeah. Freaking keyhole. Well, that, 
thank you, Todd, for telling us that story, brother. We I've never heard of it. Uh, you know, that's something they keep under the trenches. Yep. Uh, so thank you for bringing that out to life. So that has been another episode with the Grinding True Crime Podcast. Uh, we are done here, but let's let's sign off the right way. Let you guys know where you can find us. Uh, you can go to our Facebook page, our Instagram page. Just type in Grinding True Crime Podcast. Follow us. Like our stuff. Leave us a comment. Leave us a message. We will get back to you. Um, we, we like the fan interaction. As well as for those listening to uh, us outside of the country, we really appreciate you guys. You know, you guys are really supportive of us as well. Just the fact that you can find us in another country is, is amazing. So keep up the good work. And following us we really appreciate it uh with that being said you can listen to us on podbean spotify anchors itunes and pandora and as well as Podchaser, radio radio public breaker and pocket cast and as we mentioned earlier we finally got some merchandise just go to redbubble.com type in podfox80 and you can find some of our true crime merchandise if you want to support. Uh, maybe maybe next week or in a couple of weeks uh, in advance, that name, we might have a, a new username to look us up. But for right now, just type in Todd Fox 80 and you can find some of our merchandise and support the cause. So with all that being said, this is Maddie Matt signing off along with our narrator for today. Todd Fox. And the other host of the show. Gabby. And we are out of here. Toodles. Yeah, I'll come back now, you hear? <laughs> <laughs> I had to try something. I had to try something. <laughs>